Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series that we introduced last Sunday under the theme, Do Good. Our focus right up until Easter is going to be examining the scriptural theme of the outworking of the gospel in the lives of believers as evidenced through good works. This morning we will see how God has designed the church to function and operate in such a way that good works will flow naturally when we work together. Thanks for listening. Who who had to start up their snowblower this past week? So uh, my uh, my mom's got a snowblower that hasn't been started yet this season. So I got to fire it up this past week and uh, gave it a pull and she went... (laughs) Nothing, nothing doing for. Uh, it'd be no measure of pulling on that starter that was going to get that machine to turn over. It was not working the way it should. Now, there's a job that only a snowblower can really do right. But unless that machine is working the way it's supposed to work, it's not going to do its job. So I took a look I, uh, and uh, uh, looked and unscrewed the gas cap and I peered inside. And what do you think I saw? I saw the bottom of the gas can. That's right. So I put some gas in it. I took, I took a look at the choke. Choke was off. So I turned the choke on. Took a look at the ignition switch. Ignition, ignition switch was off. Turned that on. Gave the primer a couple of pumps. Took a look at the throttle. Got that revved up. Then gave it a pull. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. And she was off and running there. Uh, just two pulls and she was she was right back to life doing what only she can do why is it a she (laughs) you know the church has a similar problem Um, God's works do not flow from your life and my life unless you are fueled up properly Unless you've got that ignition switch in the right place, unless you've got the primer primed. And there's a job that only you can do. There's a job that God has designed and made you for. Now the church is called the bride of Christ, so she is a she. And uh, in the same way that a snowblower can only do a job that it's designed to do. It has to have all the parts working so that it can function and do its job. The same is true as God's people. We have actually got a lot of little levers, a lot of little buttons and gears that need to be all measured out and flipped properly so that you can do what you've been designed to do. You may find in your life that good works are a little hard to do. I don't know about you, any honest people in church this morning that, yeah, sometimes I don't act the way that I'm supposed to. Sometimes I don't think of my neighbor the way that I'm supposed to. Sometimes I'm more concerned about me than I am about them. I want to submit to you. It may be because you don't have enough gas in your tank. It may be because you haven't got the levers all switched and buttons all pushed the way they belong. Thankfully, God's word details for us a strategy And a a manual, if you will, so that we can all start hitting on all cylinders and begin to do the job that God's designed us to do. If you can remember back uh, to last Sunday's message, salt can't be made salty again. There's no plan B in God's scheme to reach the world. He put the church here. He put you here to reach the world. He doesn't have a a second option in in that scheme, in that strategy. 
Uh, light uh, is the light, not a light, not one of the lights. It's the light. And so if the light isn't shining from the church, guess what? There's not light. What is there? Only darkness. And so there's a job that we need. Thankfully, the word of God gives us some instruction for how we are to make sure that we are functioning according to God's design. That's going to be our study for this morning. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. I invite you, if you have a Bible with you today, or you could pull one off the pew in front of you. I'll be reading out of the NIV. That's a little bit of an older version. Yours might be updated, but that's okay. We're going to be in chapter 10, starting in verse 19 through 24. That can be found on page 1714 there in the pew bibles so um hebrews 10 uh just a handful of verses i i would love to spend a whole extra 30 minutes preparing us to see the context here but just as a brief background the writer of the book of hebrews is continually trying to show the church how jesus got the job done which makes him better That's the message for the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Everything that Jesus offers is better. Well, better than what, you might ask? Well, better than you, better than specifically, in uh, the writer's estimation, the old covenant. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to people who are familiar with the manner by which God's people had to get right with him in the old covenant. We covered some of that already this morning as we had a meditation about the Lord's Supper, right? The way you got right with God in the Old Testament was through the sacrifice of an animal, an innocent one whose blood was shed, poured out on the altar on your behalf. Guess what? Jesus is better. And so that's a bit of a background that's going to get you somewhere in the ballpark here so that we can begin Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. All right, we're going to stop there for this morning in our study. Uh, This is the salad passage in the New Testament. It's the salad because it's full of lettuce. That's a little bit of a pulpit humor for you this morning. Uh, Five let us's in this text. So uh, let us draw near. Let us hold unswervingly to hope. Let us spur one another on. Let us not give up meeting and let us encourage one another, right? It's a full on salad going on right here in your text. So as you and I are working through this passage, I want you to know that it's this structure that I will be teaching this morning. So uh, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is starting with a conclusion, this amazing therefore. I mean, I'm wrapping up everything I told you in the past 10 chapters so that now you and I get busy. Let us do this and this and this and this 
in this. And that's going to make for us the context of this structure. So upon that format, the very first conclusion is seen that good works, they are fueled, or I put the word here, energized through fellowship with God. If you and I are going to be a people that display the love of God through our actions, those good works, first of all, are fueled, they're energized by fellowship with God. I want to show you in our text where that comes in. It's the first let us. If you look with me in verse 22, the writer says, let us draw near to God. Hmm. You know, before you knew the Savior Jesus Christ, God for you is very likely somebody that you didn't like so much. Uh, the, the bully, the boss, the guy who's continually judging you. That's the heart and attitude that you'll have before you know what reconciliation means, before you know what justification means, before you know grace. You don't go near to a person like that. You try to stay far away. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, you should draw near. And here's the reason why. The more that you and I find ourselves in the presence of God, the more our minds and hearts will be transformed to think like God. Everybody get that? Um, this, is, this is not something I'm inventing here. You, you know this is true just practically. The more time you spend with people, the more you begin to think like those people. The, the people you surround yourself with are the people who you begin to carry on the similar values to. Same is true with God. The more time you spend with God, the more you will begin to think like God. The more you'll be able to have values like God. But it doesn't happen unless you are drawing near. When I, uh, when, before I was well, kind of dating Emily, I guess we were, I guess we were dating. Uh, this was maybe like our first date ever. Let's call it that. First date ever. We were just going for a walk on campus. Uh, just kind of not holding hands, just kind of talking and getting to know one another. And I, being the gentleman that I am, thought that I would prepare a little surprise as it was getting cl- close to lunchtime. I'm not sure if this was so much just chivalry on my part or that I was hungry. But I, uh, I called ahead and ordered two cheeseburgers, one for me and one for this pretty girl that was going on a walk with me. Well, as we reached the diner, I had asked them to have them ready so that as we showed up, the burgers were right there ready to go. And I remember I got them and she was like, oh, this is great. Sat down, picnic table. And as I unfolded my burger, oh man, I just I started to salivate. I mean, it had lettuce and onions and pickles, tomatoes and mayonnaise and ketchup and mustard. And it's dripping down my hand, right? And, uh, and she's sitting there just looking at it. And she looks at me and she says, can I order a different burger? No. Let me tell you something about dating for a moment here. Be careful who you marry. No. Here, here, here was the problem. Um, I was ordering for her based upon whose appetite? Mine. I had not thought about what she would like. Because when she orders a burger, it is a burger and cheese, and that is it. You don't ruin a burger with the rest of the things that belong on a burger, apparently. But that's, that's how she thinks of ordering a burger. Now, let me tell you this. The more time I've spent with Emily, do you think I've ever made that mistake again? No, because I'm not thinking just like me. Who am I thinking like? I'm learning to think of what her values are. And that doesn't happen by accident. That happens by spending time with somebody. 
This is exactly what the writer of the book of Hebrews wants from you. If you are going to display the works of God to the world, it's not going to happen unless you have spent time with God. It begins there. And the more time you spend with God, the more you will be able to see this world with spiritual eyes and therefore be given the capacity to represent Jesus's values and not yours, not what you want, but rather what he wants. Sometimes we still fail at this, but we've been given a promise in Scripture. This passage from the book of 1 John, John says, very similar, by the way, to the writer of the book of Hebrews. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, he hears us. And if, did I skip something there? What was it that I skipped? Did you catch it? If we ask anything, ah, according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know we have what we have asked of him. What's the big if there, folks? If we ask according to his will and not our will. So the the first place that the writer of the book of Hebrews wants to begin by allowing you to be equipped for good works, meaning that you are active agents of representing Jesus, it begins by spending time with God. How are you guys doing on that? Usually in my life, it's an ebb and a flow, even though I have regular disciplines with the Lord. Sometimes I find my communion with God is just rich and vibrant and regular and just overflowing. And then other times I feel like, man, I got this to do. And then someone calls and then I got to do this thing. And then someone texts and then how are you doing? What is your relationship with the Lord like? And as you begin to answer that question in your heart, I want to remind you that God is not some ethereal, extra, um, uh, terrestrial, foreign type of conceptual God. God is a person. And so as much as you would understand, what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with your spouse? It has to be regular time there, communication there, a care and a love for one another that's there. God is a person that you need to spend time with, to communicate with, to learn, to listen to. I want to make sure we know that there's real ways to do that. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he gives us uh, two ways and two ways of the ways. And that's what I want to cover for you next. So the first way that you spend fellowship with God is with sincerity. So it begins with sincerity. The, the, The word sincerity here is found, if you look in verse 22 again, he says, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart. The word sincerity means literally pertaining to something which is genuine or true. So sincerity means you're not putting on like a a, a fake act with God. Now, is anyone ever guilty of that? Anyone ever guilty of faking your relationship with the Lord or acting? Come on now. Any honest people in church this morning? I I can remember times when we were on the mission field going to church and I'd be preaching at church and... um, my son, who was two years old at the time, and you know how sweet two-year-olds are, right? And my wife's trying to get him dressed, and I'm saying, we got to get there, we got to go. And he's screaming and crying, and she's trying to do this, and I'm saying, let's go. And we are in the car just like a pig pen type of a mess happening. And, and we come in late, because I know I'm supposed to be up front, and we get in there, and as soon as I walk in the door, good morning, good morning, oh, good morning, You ever put a fake face on? That's not how God wants you to approach him. Sincerity of heart. 
with a sincere heart. So God sees you truly as you are. You know what? Sometimes we're a mess. Sometimes we are. You still get to approach God. And it's not because of you. This is the, this is the major part that we have to understand. You don't come to God because you're awesome. You get to come to God because Jesus has made a way for you, for you to have a sincerity in your heart. Uh, the other week I was, uh, I was at uh, Dr. Paul's office, the, the dentist office. And Paul, you know, he loves going to the dentist because he is a dentist. <laughs> don't tell him this, but I don't like going to the dentist. And uh, I, I can remember, you know, they kind of they strap you into that chair so you can't move. Right. And, and they scrape your teeth with metal. And uh, and Paul, he comes in and he is just like he always is. He's just happy and, and, and uh, personable. And I'm a little bit fake. I'm a little bit like I'm not so sure how much I'm prepared to be happy here until I hear out of his mouth. Ah, those teeth look good today. Oh, good. Good. You mean I don't have to get drilled on anything. And now now there's kind of the ability for me to be what I should have been from the beginning with sincerity. Now, look, you and I, we come to church, we come to God. And if you're lying to yourself, you don't have any sin. But if you're honest, you know, you don't deserve to come here. You know, if you came to the presence of God, you would be destroyed by his holiness. And so you might, like I with Paul, want to put on a little fake song and dance with God. But that's not what God's interested in. He wants you to approach him with sincerity, genuineness, as you really ought to. That's the first, that's the first way. Number two is this. You need to approach God with a full assurance of faith. The word assurance here means with complete Certainty. That's what assurance means. If you're talking to a salesman and he says, hey man, I assure you this is going to happen the way it's described, right? He means you need to have confidence, complete confidence that it's going to be okay. If you look in our text again, verse 22, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of our faith. Assurance means that you are going to receive your reception with God in a way that God has promised. Does God love you? Yes or no? Yeah. In fact, God's love to you means that sometimes when life is hard, his love over you is that of a parent who is disciplining you, not punishing you, but disciplining you for your good. Now, my dogs, I use them many times in my sermons, right? Sometimes need a measure of loving discipline from me. Um, but the person who they uh, rarely get this from is their mom, Emily. And they know when uh, they hear the garage door opening, they are scratching at the door and yipping. And those little tails are going back and forth because they are waiting for who? Their mom to come through the door. And they have assurance that she's going to be exactly what they have been promised. Exactly what they hope for. And always she is. And they are happy. Pee all over the floor like you do. <laughs> Listen, you, you get to come to God the same way. God is not this bully for you. God is not this angry ogre for you. He is the loving heavenly father with his arms spread wide, said, come give me a hug. I'm right here. And you, when you approach him and spend time with him, you need to have that type of confidence. You need to have that type 
of assurance. Now, there's two other ways that I have listed, and I'll just put them both up here on the screen, that we come with clean hearts and we come with clean bodies. And I need to explain what those mean because you might have not taken a shower this morning. And so you're thinking, uh-oh. But let, let, let me read for you in the text and then briefly explain what he's saying here. So again, verse 22, having a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Both of these are references to the Old Testament practice of the priests. Before the priests were able to be purified from their sins, that they could go into the most holy place, they had to be sprinkled with blood, for that blood was a representative of the sins that were atoned for, covered over by the blood of the innocent animal. And then secondly, they would have to do a kind of washing to make sure that they wouldn't die. In fact, I have the verse up here for you, Exodus 30, 19 and 21. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. So it's a big basin that they set up there. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they are approaching the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants and generations to come. Did you catch the confidence that was in there? Allow me for a moment just to tie verse 22 together for you. The two ways that you come before God are with sincerity of heart and assurance of faith. The the sincerity that you come, the sincereness of your heart is only able to be brought before God because the blood has been sprinkled on your behalf so that you now know I stand before God not as a sinner, but as one who has been covered, whose sins have been covered by Jesus. Do you you have a heart that feels guilty sometimes? Let me give you some good news this morning. God has forgiven you in Christ. You don't have to have a guilty heart. In fact, your conscience can come with sincerity now. In fact, look with me once more at the text. It says in the middle of 22, having our hearts sprinkled. Why? Do you see what it says? To cleanse us from a guilty conscience. So if you look uh, back to these four things here, the clean hearts by which we approach God have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus so that you can do number one, so that you can come with sincerity before God, not with a sin-bound guilty heart, but with a heart that has been forgiven and free because your heart uh, has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now, let's talk about clean bodies for just a moment. I already read the verse out of Exodus 30, this washing that happens. A lot of commentators want to relate this just specifically to baptism. Um, I originally, when I was studying this, felt like uh, bodies here, if you look with me in the text again, it says, having our bodies washed with pure water. I thought maybe that's a metaphor for our lives, that what the writer means here is not like your body, like scrub your armpits. What he really means is that your life needs to be clean. But the more that I looked into this, the more that I'm convinced. Remember, The writer of the book of Hebrews is referencing the Old Testament. You and I don't quite understand the Old Covenant. We're not Jewish. We're not living back then, right? But if you did, you would know that there had to be a kind of washing that would prevent you from dying if you were to approach God. Did you notice that was exactly what the verse says? Now you tell me this. Does that promise give you confidence? It should. Look at the text again. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they what? Won't die. 
<laughs> and then looking at a little further, uh, presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so that what? They won't die. Was Aaron a sinner? Yeah. Were the Levites sinners? Yeah. All those descendants of Aaron that would serve as priests at the temple to approach God, every one of them were sinners. And so as they approach God, they were afraid they might die. Except then they would remember. We washed. Don't you remember, guys? We washed. And what was the promise if we wash? If we wash, we will not die. That is what I believe the author means here. When he says that you need to have your heart sprinkled, this is with sincerity. But the assurance comes from the washing. And I think the washing here is rightly represented by baptism. Not that baptism saves you, but baptism represents the promises of God dependent on Christ extended to you. You can have, therefore, full assurance of your faith. So just as we are uh, wrapping up this first and main fueling so that you can do good works, I want you to be able to attach these ideas that clean hearts give you sincerity and clean bodies as represented for us in the promises of baptism, they offer you a sense of assurance that God is not going to destroy you because you're a sinner, but you are seen now in Christ as righteous and you are able to come before him with a kind of boldness. It is that coming before God that will fuel you to begin to think more like God and less like you. Amen on that? Are we, are we together? I got a lot more to get through, so let me move quickly here. Number two, good works are engaged by depending on God's promises. So let's look at the second let us. This can be found in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Now, why is that in verse 23? Do you see who it depends on? For he who promised is faithful. If you are going to be able to engage in good works in your life, they must depend on God's promise. Um, when I was young, my dad would go off on um, to fight forest fire. Deployments, they're called. So he would be deployed over to um, California, to Montana, fighting wildfire. And I can remember... When my dad would return, the house would be clean. And my room had to be clean. And my sister and I would look out the window because we knew he was on his way home. And we knew as my dad was on his way home, he'd be bringing gifts for me and my sister. And my mom would be so happy because he would be pulling up the driveway. Well, there was no way as we were waiting for the promise of his return, there was no way that we could have a dirty room. We couldn't. It wasn't allowed. You had to make sure things looked the way that they were supposed to. But we did it based on the promise of his arrival. Is Jesus coming again? Is Jesus returning again? Yeah. What, what do you suppose your room should look like? Yeah. Do you get the metaphor? You and I, because we look to his promised return, the promise of God for his extending eternal life to us, to, to that be seen as the adoption of us as sons, which is the redemption of our bodies, at the return of Jesus, when the dead are raised, and we who are still here left to lie are changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. If that's the promise, 
wow, we should be getting ready, don't you think? We should be doing good works, preparing for Jesus' return. This is exactly what I mean by this. This is exactly what the writer means by this. Hold to that promise unswervingly. That word unswerving means without wavering. It's a, when I was young and in, in gymnastics, they had the balance beam. Remember this? And you were you know, kind of doing this as a kid, and, and I would do that at recess. We would we'd play the game step on a crack, and you'd break your mother's back. And so you try to step on all the cracks just to be a bad kid. Um, I don't know where I was going with that illustration. But do, do not be wavering in your life. Don't be teetering in your life. God's promise to you is not one that's negotiable. It is ironclad according to his word. Now, as you look to the New Testament, there's a time where people doubted this. In fact, Peter writes this in the book of 2 Peter. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he's promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of creation. Are, are, are they participating in good works? No, they're following their own desires because they've let go of the promise of his return. They don't believe it. How, how do you scoff? Can you guys all give me an example of scoff? Ready? One, two, three. Isn't that what a scoff is? That's what they're like. Ha, give me a break. Everything continues as it always has. He's not coming. Jesus is not coming. Is he? And I believe he is. If he is, then we need to make sure we're doing like Paul says to the Galatian churches. He says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Now, now God knows the timing of, of Jesus' return. And God knows the fruit that will be grown from your contribution with other believers' contributions. This is the key verse for our series. You'll see this on the front of your bulletin. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So good works are engaged by depending on God's promises. That's verse 23. Number three, good works are inflamed by mutual dedication and characterized by love. This one is a big one. This one's super big. Here we go. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. May we consider how we may spur one another on. Spur one another on. That's a, that's a great word. Do you, do you guys know what a spur is? If you worked on a ranch, you know what a spur does. Does a spur feel good? No. no. So I'm being a little careful here with this, right? Because part of what Paul is saying, or Paul, or the writer of Hebrews is saying, is that the spur in the side of the horse is motivation for the horse to do what? Lay down and take a nap? Get moving. Get moving. Now, be honest. Do you ever need a kick in the pants to get moving? Yeah. Um, we ought to be a little careful with that, though, in church. <laughs> uh, the kick in the pants that we give one another is characterized by this. It's characterized by mutual dedication. There, there's no version of the Christian life in the church that says, you got to go work. I'm taking a break. You spur one another on by displaying your obedience in action to do good works. And do you know what that feels like to the person who's sitting back doing nothing? It feels like a little spur in the side. You mean, you mean 
You mean Lois is over here doing all this work, all these opportunities of love, and what have I been doing? Nothing. I've been watching Netflix. I'm not doing anything right now. When we have a mutual dedication to service, that will be an encouragement to us all together to be participants in obedience of God's work. And then lastly, it needs to be characterized by love. I want to remind you once more what the text says. It says, consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Towards love and good deeds. Um, I'm happy to see uh, Josh and Lauren this morning. Um, I ran into Lauren as she was as exiting uh, teaching uh, as I picked up Micah at three o'clock and just said hi. And she said, I just got off the phone with Emily because Lauren gets to come over and help Emily do some exercises. And these two girls work together. Now, if Lauren doesn't come over, how much exercise do you think Emily does? I'm going to get in trouble for this right now. Yeah. But when Lauren comes over, that's motivating. Why is that motivating? Because you have another, you have somebody with you. It's not just you. You got a partner with you. When I was in high school, I used to run track because I was tall. They made me run the two mile. Let me tell you this. The two mile is the worst race to run. It's torture, right? And I remember rounding the corner for the seventh time. Now I'm on my last lap. Do you know what helps a lot? Helps a lot. When the crowd starts going, come on, keep going. Come on, come on, keep going. Boy, that gets you going a little bit. I, all right, I got a little boost of energy going in me again. This is what we need to do for one another. We need to spur one another on because we ourselves are active in serving. And to do that as characterized by love, to shout to one another, keep going, man. Don't get weary. You got this. I'm with you. I'm behind you. And good works will be inflamed in our lives. It's like taking a little fire that's burning and putting some oxygen on it and flaming it so that it grows hotter and higher. Number four, good works are enriched by corporate perseverance and accountability. This also is super important. And I believe that number four is more important now than ever because we're in a time of physical separation from with one another. It, you know what it was like a year ago, right? When, when you came into the building a year ago, could you even get to your seat? You couldn't even get to your, you couldn't even find a pew because there were so many people wanting to hug you and see you again, right? That's what it was like in Segola. Oh, we've lost something that was a treasure to us. We've lost perseverance and accountability that enriches good works in our lives, which means if we're to reclaim this, it has to happen by intentionality on your part. You're not going to get it by default by walking through the doors. You're going to have to actually try harder to encourage one another. So look with me back in the text. This is verse 25. He says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. So let me get with that last one in a moment. This is one of the very few places where I think the Bible needs help. Could be careful saying that. I think you'll agree with me here. Look in verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I think it's missing a word there. I think it needs to say bad habit. I think that's, I think that's the part that's missing. So let me just read it again with that interpretation. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the bad habit of doing. Now I know, I know there's a lot of reasons why people don't come to church. And most of those people, they make an effort to try to reach out to me and they say, hey, I can't come for this or that or whatever reason. And you know what? I always feel a little bit 
bad for them because I feel like they're trying to make sure that they know they still love me and that I'm not going to mistake their absence as being an offense to me. But what I want them to understand is, you know, you're not coming to church so much that you get fed. I know you might think that. You, you, let me say that again. You're not coming here so much that you are being filled up, but rather that you are contributing to the encouragement of all of us. You bring a gift with you. Even the Apostle Paul, as he talked to the church in Rome, he says, I long to come and, and impart a gift to you as you give a gift to me. This is what you gain when you come to church, is by giving that which God has put in your heart. And we are all the better off by having you here together, together with us. So are, are some people in the bad habit of giving up meeting together? Yeah, and the writer of the Hebrews Day, they certainly were. Today, I know it's complicated. And, and for my folks listening on Zoom, I don't want you to feel guilt over that. I, I rather hope that you feel a sense of, I got to work harder at it now. I'm still with the church, but we're not together like we normally are. So what's the benefit of being together? Well, let's look in the text one more time. It says, not, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So to my point here on number four, your good works will be enriched by one another gathering together because it's hard. It was hard in the, in the day that the writer of the book of Hebrews was writing. Some were in the habit of doing what? I'm, I ain't going today. Now, for them, it wasn't because the Super Bowl was that day. For them, it wasn't because there was something to bake or cook or because they didn't feel good. The reason why they didn't come was because they could get killed by gathering. There was persecution happening in this time whereby you could be taken and brought to jail and even killed for gathering to worship Jesus. And so that was the reason not to gather. We need to make sure we understand how much we need each other. That's what my message here is trying to show us. And there's a persevering that happens through that. That's an encouragement to say, hey, we're in this together. It's also a form of accountability. Because, yeah, you can think you're doing fine when you're just all gauging your life on your own. But when you gather here together, there's a sense to which we say, how you doing? How's your walk with the Lord? Are you still serving? Here's how I'm serving. That's a spur. Ooh, that's a spur. Yeah, because we need accountability between one another. This is the whole reason why I want to get a prayer partner. All right, number five. I'm going to go quickly through this last two. Good works are encouraged by a church that's focused on Jesus's return. You'll see this here in, at the end of verse 25. Let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Um, this uh, I would only characterize as when um, my wife is coming home from the store, uh, Sadie will many times ask, when is she coming? When is she going to be here? And we have this little app on my phone that if, if I press it, it shows me right where Emily is on the, on the map. And so even though Sadie doesn't know where the map is, she knows our dot and, and her mom's dot. And she knows that as those get closer, she's almost home. Well, Jesus is going to return. And if you had a spiritual GPS, it would show that he's closer today than he was yesterday. And so we need to encourage one another. Encourage, why? Well, because Jesus is coming again. All right, the last one is, is probably the most important, but I've run out of time, so I probably can't give it too much, but good works are ignited only because of Jesus. 
And this comes from verses 19, 20, and 21. And so just very briefly, I'd like to read those for you one more time that you would see good works don't come from you. They come from Jesus because of Jesus. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of who? Come on, say the name good and loud. By the blood of who? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Whose body? Jesus' body. Over the house of God. So there you go. Verse 19, 20, and 21. They teach us that good works, they're ignited. It's, It's the spark. It's the ignition switch. It's what starts it all. It all starts from Jesus and it all returns back to Jesus. All right, so let's wrap this up. Um, I want to answer the question, the purpose of your prayer partner. And so that's the grace excursion. This is, this is the number two. Why, why do I need a prayer partner, Ryan? Well, here's why. Number one, your prayer partner needs to ask you this question. How are you doing with your relationship with the Lord? Do you remember the first let us? Let us draw near to God. How are you doing with that? Good works are going to be puttering and sputtering in your life unless you are spending time with the Lord. So that's the first question. A prayer partner gets to ask you, tell me how you're doing. And sometime your, your answer is going to be, gee, it's been a tough week. Uh, man, you should have seen who I had to deal with at work or you, uh, the phone call I got or whatever it is. It's going to be tough. Well, with sincerity of heart, answer that question. But this is where it begins. It begins by asking the question, how are you doing with your relationship with God? Because good works are drawn from, from drawing near to God. Number two, share with your prayer partner who you are praying for and what God is leading you to do for them. Because as you get to share that in your life, that'll be like a spur in the life of your prayer partner. Oh, that's a good idea. I never thought of to pray for this person. Or I never thought of that this would be something that I could do to help. And your interaction with them is going to begin to inflame in your heart. Uh, Those works that God would have you to do. That's that mutual accountability. That's that mutual participation in the work. So share with them. This is who God is leading me to pray for. And this is what God's leading me to do. Number three, ask your your partner how you can pray for them. um, To love them. And to be an encouragement to them. So it's pretty simple so far, right? If I, you can do this over text message, by the way. It'd be better if you got together for a cup of coffee. That'd be the best way to do this, but the phone works just fine too. Here it is. You ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to display it for you. How can I, how can I pray for you? How, how can I encourage you this week? Ask your prayer partner that question. And then lastly, and it should be the most obvious, and pray for him. And that doesn't have to be, if you're not comfortable praying out loud or in person, you don't have to pray over the phone right then. That's okay. Just commit to say, we're together in this man, or we're together in this mommy, <laughs> mama or lady, right? We're, we're together in this. This is not you alone trying to do this impossible task. This is the body of Christ coming together. And my encouragement to you today, as we would apply onto our lives this salad, this uh a smorgasbord of lettuce, uh, that you would learn to do that with the encouragement of having a partner with you. Amen?